Welcome everyone to another episode of Podium Stories. Today I have a really special guest in the building, uh, somebody that I've been wanting to really interview for the last week, week and a half after reading more about him. His name is Eric Coverman. He's the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, one of the fastest growing marketing consultancies in the United States. They've grown from seven, and if I'm not mistaken, to over 160 people in five and a half years with no outside funding, no debt, completely bootstrapped. So I relate to that as a bootstrapped agency owner myself. He's a serial entrepreneur, a marketing expert, and a thought leader in the world of digital marketing, entrepreneurship, sales, and business. Eric, thank you so much for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, before you started Hulk Media, I read that you had uh, run and grown different e-commerce companies. Yeah. So tell me more about the differences between growing an e-commerce company and an agency. And then we'll talk about the similarities, no matter the industry business model, but let's start with what's different. And yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, there's obviously a lot different, but I'd say the core, the core parts that I've seen are different. First off, just the fundamental, it's B2B or B2C. So, right. you know, the B2B aspect uh, with an agency or any other B2B business, a lot of it can be driven by relationships and driven by meeting the right person, et cetera, and you can really drive revenue through network. Uh, you can't really do that with a B2C company. It's a lot harder. You can do it if you're going into retail stores and you know the head buyer at Walmart or whatever it is, but um, for direct consumer e-commerce brands, it's all down, comes down to marketing, which is where I got my chops and where I had to learn how to market things online really well. So, uh, that would be probably the main di- difference is customer acquisition. And then from a, an, another big difference just between product company and service business is the working capital needs. Like mm-hmm. you, there's a reason a lot of those companies raise money or grow slowly is, you know, you need money to create the product to then sell it. And a lot of times you can't get the terms or, you know, you can't get terms that are long enough and take enough risk to grow as fast. Whereas with a service business, they say it's not as scalable, but frankly, I disagree. And I've got proof in the pudding here. Um, If you can build a good onboarding and train, like recruiting and training process, you can scale. I mean, it's funny. I always feel service here. Services businesses aren't scalable. And then you have Accenture with 400,000 people after 30 years. It's like, come on, (laughs) it's doable. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, would say that, you know, again, the, the, un, the lack of need for working capital in a service business is really helpful. Uh, the ability to be able to sell B2B is, you know, more, fits more with my skill set. Uh, you just need a lot more support to build an e-commerce business. And if you want to be scrappy about it, you just have to do it and do it organically. You can do that, but it, a lot of times it just takes a grind and it takes being again, really scrappy to do it. Yeah. So I started... Uh, my first year in business, I started an, an e-commerce selling basketball gear and it went horrible. And then I went, it was trash. And then I started my agency four years ago and now we run, run doing basically content marketing for CEOs. Uh, oh. But there's some things that remain true for e-commerce and for service-based business. So what were those things for you that were still true no matter the industry or business model? Yeah, you're still you know, working with people, you're still operating in margins. The difference, like the main difference is your people or your product with a service business mm-hmm. and your people, your product is your product with a product business. So it's, you're, you're still looking at gross margins. You're still operating a PL. You're still managing people, whether it's the people helping sell and manage the supply chain of your product or the people actually delivering your service. And, you know, so just overall management of a business is similar. The, in, the intricacies of how it operates is different, but yeah, you're still, you know, there's a lot of similarities too. If you're a good savvy business owner, you can look at the operation of a 
you know, an agency or a product business and probably understand it. Makes sense. So one of the topics that I really wanted to dive into there with you was about that growth that you guys have had and the changes that has affected as a company as well and, and you personally, right? So I read a quote from one of your team members that was interviewed and she said that restructuring leadership from a flat management approach into a hierarchy was one of the things that you guys did, right? Because you started with seven people, a SWAT yep. team with each their own vertical, and you guys yep. have to change that as you grow. So can you walk me a bit more on that hierarchy change? Yeah, it, I mean, it just, it, it happened pretty organically. And then, you know, at the times we, you know, sort of ripped the bandaid and made bigger changes along the way. But, you know, with the, as you mentioned, we had a little SWAT team of seven people, each with their own expertise. So it was like a Facebook marketer, email marketer, et cetera. And then we needed two email marketers and then we needed three. And one of them needed to lead the other two. And it's just like, it started to become hierarchical at that point. And it's just what we've seen is in our business, at least it takes about, uh, for in the way we operate currently, and we're always trying to optimize this, but you need a manager for about every seven people to be efficient right now to make sure that to, to give people the amount of time they need from management to like really dive in training, ongoing, you know, just development, they need that kind of time. And so, because we're not, we, you know, our people are very high functioning people. And so to get the most out of them, we want to make sure that we are high touch with them too. And so that. That means that again, every time we add seven people, we need to add management. And if we, if you know, a team goes from twelve to fourteen, now we need a manager up there. And then if we end up with teams going from, you know, we have three teams go to seven teams, now we need a manager to manage the managers. And the layers just build out as you build your headcount. Right. That's interesting because we're at five people, and I do see that number uh, like being close to what we, at the point that we're going to need one, especially yeah. in the early days when you have to introduce managers and middle like players in the middle did yep. that account on you and your your pricing and on the, on the clients that you were after to make sure that the margin yeah, still mean, worked it, the fortunate part about me starting this is like this is my fifth business right so like I, I thought about scalability from the beginning and so we never really had we never got that surprised by like oh god like we have to add expenses in here because i knew already that i had to bake in a bunch of layer to scale where i wanted now that doesn't mean we haven't had to make adjustments at this point, seven years into it. But uh, yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't that hard to add in those layers because of how I had built it. Makes sense. Tell me about the offering, right? Because you started in a very a la carte uh, offering huh? for, for the clients. You have to, at one point, we're like, okay, we need to productize it a little bit more or define uh, boundaries better. It was always productized. So that's that. we still have a very similar offering to what we started with. We have more oh, offering. We've stuck to that because I, the reason I built this hasn't changed, which is accessibility to great marketing is really difficult. And it's just, you know, whether it's just the convoluted nature of it or the lack of talent out there, the snake oil salesmen, the long contracts from bigger agencies, the high barriers to entry, all of it just pissed me off. And so right. that's why, what, that's what drove us to build this. I didn't like, I just sold my second e-commerce company. I didn't have like any real impetus to start an agency, right. but just, you know, it was needed. And so that's why we built it. And the timing was right, everything. And so that we've stuck to that. We've stuck to our mission. We've stuck to our core values. And so with that, we have pretty much have the same offering we did six years ago, you know, with some nuance to it. But right. um, yeah, that doesn't change that much. It stayed the same because we're very consultative. We go into a brand, we tell them exactly what they need, but then our team can be super flexible. As you mentioned, everything's a la carte, everything's month to month. And that's, we've stuck to that. I love that. What about in terms of, because, uh, uh, I'm asking because we're at a point where we're trying to scale as well. So there are some challenges that we're facing personally and our listeners uh, are probably facing as well. 
but it was yeah. in terms of communication and culture, right? Because when you start, you have seven people, like everybody yeah. knows everybody. What about when you have uh, that number scales 10 times, right? Yeah. How, I mean, how does that change time, for you? Every time you double, your culture changes and you have to be okay with your culture changing. Like it's just a different business. It's, it's just how it works. You, you know, we were seven people sitting around one conference table being scrappy. Right. That is a culture. Then at, by the end of that year, we were 17 with a couple managers and like, you know, it, it's just very, it's different. And at this point, we've got three offices around the country. We've got 150, 60 people. And, you know, we're a decent sized business now. Like, it is different. It doesn't mean your core values have to change. It doesn't mean like culture is, it, it has a lot of aspects to it. Your culture has to change as the business changes and the business has changed. Like at this point, we're managing 500 companies marketing. When we're managing eight, com sorry, eight companies marketing, it's a very different type of interaction culture. So um, that that shift you just have to be ready for and accept. It, my business partner actually put it pretty well. Like college was super fun, wasn't it? Like that was a good time in our life. We're never going to experience that again. Right. That's okay. Our, what we were then is not what we are now. And like that, that is how company cultures are. Like as you scale, as you change, your your culture changes. Your, you know, uh, the way your people operate change. You have to bigger companies. You have to have more process. You have to account for the lowest common denominator. And we try to keep that lowest common denominator high. But you still have to have some processes in place where when you're five people and you're watching whatever I'm doing, you don't need shit. So yeah, it's that's that's a big part of like the cultural shift. But the core values and the overall vision of the company doesn't necessarily have to change. What we, we actually got way more focused and communicative on our core values and on our mission that we've, our mission hasn't changed, but now we actually know how to articulate it. And so now we really harp on it. We repeat it constantly. We talk to our people about it. And that's been a godsend because now, you know, we've retained the employees that are really aligned with the mission of the company and like to be a part of it. And they're gung ho. Like there is people that bleed hawk red, so to speak, because <laughs> they know what it stands for. When we were used to say like, yeah, you know, we, we, you know, we're a la carte month to month, outsource CMO, like that's not a mission. It's great yeah. offering your CEO, it resonates, but our mission, which is accessibility to great marketing for everyone. If you care about that, you want to be a part of Hawk. If you don't, then you're going to be there or not. You're going to be, you know, working for a paycheck. That's fine. But the people that now we have people that resonate with the mission of the company, which really helps strengthen the culture. I love that. Tell me about yourself and, and how your role has changed, Eric, from day one to today. Right, because as yeah. the team changes and the company changes, your role also changes. So tell yeah. me what, uh, for example, what skills does the company need from you today that didn't need when it started? Yeah, uh, the like sort of deal making wasn't as important. Like I, you know, I was a salesperson, so I was mm -hmm. pretty much the main sales driver for three and a half years. I just you know built, waved the flag, beat the drum, closed deals, brought in business, constantly was out and about. That really was me. That. And, yeah, and I, <laughs> I three and a half years in. This is a true story. I, I, 2017 was three and a half years in, summer 2017. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I booked a trip and went to the, uh, we went to Saint-Tropez, stopped through Cannes, not knowing it was going to be the Cannes Film Festival, but happened to land there during, ended up at the like most ridiculous party there, had to buy a tuck last minute. We got like a random friend, saw on Instagram, I was in Cannes, invited me to like the top celebrity party there, like oh, by, sure. a, I forgot the name of the jewelry company, but one of the biggest diamond companies in Italy that was like, or sorry, in France that was hosting and like did this crazy party and then got invited to Monaco, went to the Grand Prix. Like it was the most fucking week of my life. Yeah, the Grand Prix Monaco is, is top notch. And that, that's, oh, it was, that's awesome. Yeah, we watched it from a balcony looking down on the track, like oh, in a great. beautiful apartment. 
yeah. it was you know champagne on flowing like it was just it was awesome but we're sitting up on uh my buddy met met us in monaco and he had a hotel room overlooking like the whole bay and we went up and hung out with him and i'm looking out at these like 500 million dollar boats and i'm like you know not that i want one of those but the way i work right now running like being the salesperson i'm at capacity i can't work harder i already work as hard as possible because i don't mind working hard and what I'm doing right now will never allow me to buy one of those. Not that I'm like, that's my mission, but I want the option. Right. And so it shifted my mindset into how I ran my company. And literally that I came back from that trip and I offloaded all my potential deals and clients to my sales team and just said, you guys are in charge now. We dipped like that was end of June, July and August. We dipped as a business yeah. and we just kind of held on tight. And then everything started growing again. And, you know, we've grown five times since that year we're five x bigger since 2017 is that right yeah um yeah that's right so it worked um and you know we're we're 10 times bigger than we did in 2016 so that year we grew it we doubled and we kept doubling and so that um it was it was the right decision and so that was my role then changed to being more just focused on lead generation like i'm just going to try to bring in as many business and be the face of the brand so i'm going to work on I, you know, I spent 2000, second half of 2017 and a little bit of 2018 really trying to just be the sort of ce the celebrity of the company and like get my name out there as much as possible and drive in business and hired a few people and executives start taking other things off my plate. Like I st I'm also responsible for the way we market the company, hired a CMO, hired a bunch of people, hired a head of sales, started to realize that head of sales has done great, head of marketing did not. He was out very quickly and I realized like there's still... I am still a great marketer and I should stay don't I don't want to offload everything which was right. where I was swinging too far the other way so at this point and that's two years ago so then you fast forward and you know I'd say still a third of my time is you know focused on our own growth mm -hmm. and so it's me speaking being on podcasts etc it's yep. being on our daily sales and marketing meetings and helping strategize new campaigns and initiatives helping drive them being that guy that's helping push the brand uh, it's a third working with our executive team on just the overall company mission and what we're doing and spending time with our head of services, our head of HR, our head of sales, you know, head of finance and really just managing the business. I have a great COO too, but mm -hmm. I, I've realized like me being in the weeds too is, is worth it. Right. I, there's always something I can affect. And then about a third of my time at this point is on M and A, you know, we get to a scale where, you really see like when companies hit agencies hit around 15 plus million in revenue, their scale starts to sometimes a good portion of them, if they want to grow, still grow fast, it comes through acquisitions. And so we're in the process of rolling out a lot more diligent of a process, but we bought four agencies at this point. So that became, so now my role, just to recap is a third promotional, a third operational and a third M and a basically. So a, a few questions from a few different things that we touch. Uh, yeah. Part of it, you mentioned your personal brand, right? And uh, all our business comes from my personal brand because that's something that we offer for our clients. So I had to walk the talk. But how has that personal brand helped you generate new business? Or do you even call it personal brand or is this reputation? It's, all, it's both. Um, I, I actually think there are, there are in, in the way I define them, there's some nuances that are separate the two. Personal brand, um, you can have a massive personal brand and a shitty reputation. Right. But, you know, there's plenty of the like self-help gurus. I'm going to call sure. one out. I think he's full of shit. It's Ty Lopez. Oh, I like, hate that guy. Like, yeah, exactly. There you go. He fucks Big up my YouTube brand. videos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
big personal brand, terrible reputation, and probably rightfully so. And so um, I think both are incredibly important. Like our reputation is also a very big part of why we're successful. But personal brand, I, it's just, it came down to something really simple. I wanted when anybody thinks I need marketing help or a friend says I need marketing help, they can't think of anyone but me. And that, that has been what I've marched on for seven years is if you, and I tell people directly, I get my name out there. I stay top of mind. I do everything I can to make sure that when someone goes, shit, I need marketing help or, Hey, my friend needs marketing help. Oh, you got to talk to Eric. And it works. I mean, I get intros from some of the biggest executives in LA because I've built myself as I'm the marketing guy. And that is personal brand in a nutshell. It's not my fucking Instagram followers, which by the way, I think I have 4,500. It's not like, (laughs) but but I can tell you that like several times a day, I get an email with, hey, Eric, this is my friend XYZ. They need help with marketing. Can you talk to them? Several times a day. So that is a gift that keeps on giving that it's, you know, we even talked, we had an internal like sales leads meeting last week about, you know, how do we juice it, et cetera. And the biggest uh, effect on our inbound lead generation for the company is how active I'm being and speaking at conferences and being on podcasts, et cetera, which we're a hundred and again, a 160 person company and I'm still driving it as an individual being active. So yeah, it's Gary Vaynerchuk. I talked to his team today. They launched Sasha group, which is their like small and medium business. Yeah. The company has done nothing, but just Gary's tweets about them and they've got 20, 30,000 leads that they're working through just because Gary talked about his new Sasha group. Yeah. Like there's so much power in it, but it's gotta be real. Like, so many people like skip a step. They want to take a fucking picture with a Lamborghini and say, I'll make you millions. Yeah. And it, the smart, the problem is dumb people will come lining up and you're going to get the people that also have no money. You all hang out together. I watch it. We, my buddy calls it the dark side. It's all the like self-help gurus that don't <laughs> actually, I've never helped themselves, but yeah. they're going to tell you how to make millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, for, for us, it's been, so we're a much smaller company, but everything that we generate is inbound from a personal brand. And, and yeah. it's that, right? Like this podcast, LinkedIn content, it, yeah. it really has changed our business. Tell me about when you're saying about like acquiring other agencies, what does an agency have to look like for you to be interested? For yeah. other agency owners uh, listening, what do they have to yeah. do to be acquired? Honestly, profitable between one and three million in revenue, up to four million is really our target. Bigger than that, we, we have a few conversations, but there's got to be some nuance to it because it starts to frankly get hard for us to be able to get a deal that's interesting. Um, and we're looking for people that want to grow with us. So the idea is like, we've built out HR and accounting and legal and, you know, accounts receivable and all the back office and all the services. And, you know, we figured out how to scale this. So can we take a small agency that's, you know, on the right trajectory, it's got a really good team and can we input all of our platform and then together grow it a lot faster than they can do it on their own. And if we can, the deals we strike are usually pretty interesting. If there's not that belief, then there's no point in having a conversation. So it's if you had, you know, a full back office platform, like a 160 person agency to back you and you could just go grow the thing. If you could grow a lot faster, we should talk. That's, that's really what it comes down to because we're open to types of services. We're open to location. I'm uh, one of my biggest initiatives in there is finding agencies in other locations mm-hmm. around the country, especially now that no one's in an actual office. Like right. I want people in my, Miami's our number one, you know, goal. We already have Boston, New York, LA. I want to open, you know, our top five right now are Miami, Dallas, Chicago, Atlanta, and San Francisco. But mm-hmm. we're also looking at Boise and Salt Lake City and Denver. And honestly in T- Tulsa, Oklahoma, just because if we have a reason, we'll look at it. Right. Uh, 
and anywhere's cheaper than New York, Boston, or LA. So, uh, you know, it, it, for us to scale in those territories and put money behind growing in those territories, that it's actually a better return on our money. So. Yeah, especially now that uh, the, yeah. the world's virtual and it doesn't really matter what the location is. Yeah, and this was a plan long before this, but now it's just accelerated it. It's accelerated the opportunity. It's de decelerated the movement because it's really hard without me being able to go on the ground in Miami and check out the office. Right. But I'm probably going to be fine pretty soon. I'm less concerned personally about what's going on. So yeah, I, yeah. I've stayed really careful for two months and now I'm probably going to just get back at it. So yeah, still trying to accelerate that. Love that. Tell me about uh, building a leadership team or an executive team. Uh, what was the process like? What were the things you were looking at in those individuals? And, and what are the like mistakes that you made that if you had to do it again, you wouldn't yeah. you would do so in the process, uh, we have a decent amount of leaders, but you know, it's always a moving target. I'd say the biggest thing I'm still learning, but I'd say the biggest thing I've learned is like, never expect anyone to be a silver bullet. Like you're going to, it takes longer to ramp up an executive than it does an employee. So like if you're bringing in an executive, expect to spend a long time and a lot of time with them, getting them to a point where they can actually work well with you. Uh, my head of finance, I'd say, you know, just cause he's doing a great job. I'll call him out. Um, he joined us nine months ago i believe and i'd say the first three months we weren't sure if we were keeping him <laughs> and it wasn't him uh, he's a smart guy it was just alignment and you have to just and it's my impatience so like you have to just get used to like i i had to spend a lot of time getting him to work the way i need him to work to run the company and that's important alignment's really important so at me i you know finally i stopped acting like a victim and was like this isn't him being bad at his job it's me being shitty at getting him up to speed so let's fix that so to just work even today, you know, work when, when something's off from what I need, working with them and just not treating it like, oh God, you didn't do this and being more. And I tell people like, this is how you need to work with your vendors, your employees, et cetera, like support that. And so if you're hiring an executive, don't think you just got that piece of the business off your plate. Think you got, might've gotten that business piece of business off your plate in a year or a year and a half. And you're never going to take your eye fully off it as a business owner. Like I'm never going to take my eye off our P&L because I have a CFO. Because the other piece of this as an owner is no one's ever going to care as much as you, right. obviously. And it's like you, you could hope and wish and pray all you want. They're just not going to care as much. That doesn't mean they don't give a shit, but it is very different. If, if my business loses a hundred grand, I lose a hundred thousand dollars. I, that is real for me. Right. For my CFO, it's like, oh, okay, well we should make some changes and fix that. So it doesn't <laughs> For me, I'm like, what the fuck is that? That's my fucking money, right? And yeah. it's your baby, right? Because we, yeah. we put so much effort and tears into it. Exactly. So it's hard for us to... When you're paid last. Right. So like, when you lose money, you don't make any. Everyone yeah. else gets their paycheck. So like, and again, not a jab at anyone that works hard mm -hmm. and is an executive. It's just the truth. And so, you know, even through this, like, I got, frankly, a little complacent on our uh, expenses up until COVID. Just if someone said, hey, I need this software, fine. I need this, fine. Now nothing goes out without my approval mm. because we i when i when covid hit we didn't fire people like we haven't done layoffs we fired a few people but not layoffs they needed to be fired yeah. um but uh, when we when it hit we didn't do layoffs but we cut every non-essential expense from a software component you know it, all company perks that kind of stuff holy shit how much money we were wasting on stuff <laughs> that we don't need at all like companies functioning great right now we're actually we had a little bit of a dip in April. Now we're totally up back on track. Like it's great. And like, I, I even talked, I talked to my executive team on Monday. I was like, none of that shit's coming back just to be clear. Like, <laughs> fucking Friday massages. Like, thank God I have an excuse for that, but we're not doing that anymore. Like, and the kombucha is going and all this shit's going. If we have a bunch of money in the bank, 
I will find a fun way to celebrate and share it with everyone. But right. we're not having recurring expenses for stupid shit. Right. We're going to go to the Grand Prix in Monaco, but we're not buying more kombucha. <laughs> exactly. You can rent a fucking 737 for 30 grand. So we'll go do that. And, but by the way, that, so that's actually a funny example. That, that's a year of massages on Fridays. Sure. Instead of that, how about I fly everyone somewhere on a, our own private plane? What do you right. prefer? Like, it's that kind of shit. Like, it's just like, let's just not do that shit anymore. Yeah. We had a, at a smaller scale, I was the same feeling. I was like, what the yeah. fuck have we been doing lately, man? Like, all yeah, this shit I, I, wasn't I was necessary. As of today, I'm doing another review. I'm like, yeah, we got yeah. through the big stuff. Let's do it again. Let's go. <laughs> right. Like, now but, let's call. And this is just for anyone that listens right now. Call every vendor and just say, hey, what can you do for us? Because right. a lot of them are defaulting to discounts. Like, yeah. Hey, we'll give you 20% off. Great. Sure, fucking, that's there's fucking 10 grand that we're saved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Just do it 20 times, 50 times with all your vendors and you're going to save real money. It's yeah. worth someone in your office doing it. So yeah, we're going through that now. Like we're even like city, you know, we're calling the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. What can you do? Right. Like, I'm sure you can do something. We're yeah. not using our office and we're paying for fucking trash pickup. Like what are you going to do? And you have the leverage now because... Yeah, they're, they're falling. So I have one last question that I want to ask you um, before we wrap this up. So yeah. you have a big team. There's a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. How do you deal mentally with that pressure of being a CEO of a growing company or does that not affect you at all? Yeah, the question comes up a lot. And my view, I think, is, an, is not meant to be conceded, but I think it's an important view to have. My people are just as liable for their own actions as I am. So like, if we're, if our company's failing, it's because either my sales team isn't performing or my services team is turning business. Like we're all in this together in that. I hate that cliche now, but it's just the truth. And so like, if I can't afford to pay my people, it's because it's not just because I screwed up. It's because we did, or there's outside effects. But so I, I just, I communicate that with my team. Like this is, you know, there's, this is a great speech that I actually, I even got shit for it, but um, have you seen get them to the Greek movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 P. Diddy speech of like, oh, you think this meeting's for me? I own 21 kookaroos. It's like, <laughs> I kind of gave that to my team of like, I personally, I'm never worried about my personal bills. I live pretty frugally and I've invested well over the years. Like, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. But I love building a business. I'm going to build this big because I, this is what I love to do. It's a passion side of things too. Um, for me, the dollars in the business are more of a scoreboard than anything. For my people, it's real. So I was like, I want to be clear. When I push the sales team to close business, it's to employ you and build this. It's not because I'm just a dick or because I'm patting my pocket. I haven't taken money out of my business in two years because I wanted to grow it. So it's like, that, that's just how this works. So I, I'm just clear about that. So that when, you know, when something like this happens, there was a lot of pressure because I had to be the one to make the call on what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, in that first weekend that this all went down, like the scenarios that I had to run and the fucking work, like I didn't sleep for a four days trying yeah. to figure it out and like my head spinning when I tried to sleep. But once I got through that and figured out like what, what the options were based on the outcomes the problem was we didn't know it was coming. So it was like worst case scenario. Here's what we're going to do. If like our business cuts in half, here's what happens. It cuts by 10%. Here's what happens. Once I had that planned out, which we should have had anyways, and I recommend every business to have those contingency plans. Um, and it was easy. And it's just like, okay, now we're going to fight for what we can. Our people are going to work. And if they do a great job, we should have a less bad case scenario and we'll be fine. And if they do that, great. And if they don't, well, it's on all of us. And it's yeah. just a situation. And again, we haven't had to lay anyone off, but the people that didn't perform, didn't step up, didn't do a good job during this, got fired. We didn't, we weren't flipping about it. We were, we know that we're putting someone into a situation where it's hard to get a job. But I also, again, I don't believe in victims. 
if someone wasn't pulling their weight during this time, a time when we really need everyone to pull their weight, they're putting all of their coworkers at risk and their jobs at risk and the company at risk. I'm, I just didn't have patience for it. So yeah. it's like it, playing bad in the game seven of the finals, right? Like if right, you can exactly. handle the pressure next year, you have to be out. Yeah. And it wasn't even like there are people having like some emotional stuff. We actually were patient with them. It was yeah. people that like, you know, salespeople that didn't even hit their activity numbers, like didn't right. even make the phone call numbers they're supposed to make in a day when everyone else is. So it's like, we're not being dicks about this. You're just not working hard enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Awesome, Eric. I, I want to be respectful of your time, but we could, I'd love to talk to you for three hours, but no. uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate you joining us. I will put the yeah, links to the Hawk Media website, your LinkedIn to everything Perfect. below. Yep. Uh, and thank you for being here, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. And if you're listening, thank you so much. Feel free to subscribe or share or don't, whatever the fuck you want. We appreciate you being here. <laughs>